Folks, I tell you what, I'm having fun preaching these great stories of the Bible. I have so much enjoyed uh, being able to get in them and study them afresh and look at them afresh. I, I hope you're having a little bit of fun also uh, with my fun. hope you're enjoying looking at these uh, great stories of the Bible. I always think we need to be a little bit challenged when we look at these not to get lost in them. Don't, don't get lost in a great story. They are great stories. They're, they're, they're great for a reason. They, they stand out to us for a reason, but we don't want to get lost in that. We also don't want to get lost in the familiarity of these great stories. These are stories where you can say, you know, David and Goliath or Noah and the flood, and it's real easy for us to think, oh yeah, I've heard that. I, I know that story. But folks, knowing the events or knowing the details of a particular story doesn't mean you know the life lessons of that story? Or does it mean you don't need to be re-challenged in the life lessons of these stories? And these stories do have great lessons for life. So far we have looked at uh, David and Noah, and in both of them we saw great faith. And folks, every story of the Bible is ultimately going to be a story of great faith. And And in Noah, you remember, we saw his faith, and it produced what? It produced that place of refuge. It produced a place of protection as God's judgment reigned, literally reigned, on this earth for mankind's sin. And then in David, remember we saw what his faith produced. It produced that great victory, that that big defeat of the giant of Goliath. But what if, what if your faith didn't produce anything? Could you have faith in God if it, really didn't produce anything, if it didn't provide for anything. Now, you might hear a question like that and think, well, what would be the point? Isn't that why we have faith? So that it, so that it produces, so that it provides, so that it protects. I mean, faith, we, we show that for a reason, so that we get something. But what, what if it didn't? It's a good question. Here's what I want to do today. I want us to get into... The fire. I hope you brought your fire retardant clothes. We're going to get into the fire with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And we're going to find out, is there a reason to have faith even if God doesn't fill in the blank? Look with me this morning at Daniel, Daniel chapter 3. Daniel chapter 3, get past the Psalms and you'll come into some big books. They're called major, the major prophets. You know why they're called major? Because their books are major long. Uh, they're, they're all 50 something chapters and you'll, you'll go through Isaiah, Jeremiah and Ezekiel. There's a couple small books sprinkled in there. But then after Ezekiel, you'll come to some minor prophets. You know why they're minor? Because short books. Short chapters. These are the ones that are hard to find. We thumb right through them real quickly. Daniel's right after Ezekiel. So get past the Psalms and and that's where you'll find him. If you don't have a Bible with you this morning, I hope you'll use one of ours there in the chairs in front of you and read along. We're going to begin Daniel chapter 3. Look at verse 1. It says, King Nebuchadnezzar made a gold statue, 90 feet high, 9 feet wide. He set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Now look at verse 4. A herald loudly proclaimed, People of every nation and language, you are commanded when you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, drum, and every kind of music. Now, that sentence right there is going to be repeated about ten times. And so, from now on, I'm just going to say when you hear the band. Is that okay? 
Okay, you know what I'm saying? That's okay, orchestra? They all left anyway. So uh, when we get to that line, we're just going to say band, okay? Uh, you are, when you hear the band, you are to fall down and worship the gold statue that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. But whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into a furnace of blazing fire. Therefore, when all the people heard the band, thank you very much, uh, then people of every nation language fell down and they worshiped the gold statue that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Now, the historical setting of, of the passage we're reading is right at the begin, beginning of Nebuchadnezzar's rule, his, his becoming king in Babylon. And at this point in history, Babylon is, they're the top dog. They're, they're kind of running things in the world. It's the, it's the Babylonian empire, and they are in charge of things. And Babylon and, and uh, Nebuchadnezzar are in that position by God's hand. God has put them there, and God is using them to bring judgment on Judah for their sin and their rebellion. Now, God's not using Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon like that because they're God followers, because they're God honors, because actually they're not. As a matter of fact, it's kind of a, a funny line. Later, uh, in one of the other minor prophets, there's a guy named Habakkuk, and he's praying, and he's saying, God, I know we deserve your judgment. I know we're sinful, but surely you're not using the Babylonians. And those people are much worse but God was using them for His purposes. And folks, the same is true today. Now, there's no nation, there's no person, there's no leader that ultimately is not going to fit into the story that God is telling. That is ultimately not going to fit into the purposes of God. God's always in control of that. So Nebuchadnezzar's in this position and he feels like, you know what, it's time, it's time for a little show of loyalty. And so he builds this statue, as we just read, 90 feet high, 9 feet wide. I mean, this thing's just kind of straight up and down. And, and he tells everybody in the empire, he invites them all there, we're going to come and we're going we're to fall down and we're going to worship this statue. Now that sounds kind of odd to us today, but really at this time in history, kind of a normal thing, somewhat to be expected with a, a new ruler. The idea was, as you fell down and worshipped Nebuchadnezzar's God, and that statue was probably a, a statue of his false god. It was a god named Nebo. Not that you need to remember that, but more than likely that's what this statue was. As you fell down and worshipped Nebo, then of course you're paying homage to Nebo's king, which is Nebuchadnezzar. And so it was a, a show of loyalty. And so he says, when the bands play, everybody fall down and worship. They're acknowledging him and showing their loyalty. And you see in verse 4, the, the immensity, the diversity of the crowd. I mean, these are people of every language, people of every nation. This is truly a, a worldwide event. This is a big moment in, in, in world history. This is a, a big moment. This is the kind of thing... Folks, I guarantee you CNN was there, Fox News, all the networks. Uh, they're giving live, uninterrupted coverage of this moment. And, and so the moment comes when, when Nebuchadnezzar comes out and everybody applauds because that's what you do with a king who can kill you. And, and then the band plays and everybody's instructed to, to fall down and worship. And whew, they do. Hundreds of thousands of people just fall down immediately and begin to worship, what would you do? What, what would you do in that moment right there? Now, you don't get to go on Facebook and, and tell all your friends to be praying for you. You're in a, in a pressured moment right here. or You're being tempted. 
You don't get to call your accountability partner and say, man, you're not going to believe what I'm up against. I need somebody praying for me. Matter of fact, you really don't even have the chance to pray yourself. You have a split second to decide. Hundreds of thousands of people all around you bowing in worship. What are you going to do? And man, what a, what a pressure-filled moment. I mean, on the one hand, you just have the pressure of what everybody around you is doing. And you've got the crowd, the world is all clearly going one direction. And on the other hand, you've got the threat of death. I mean, if you don't do this, you die. So what do you do? Do you, do you bow? Or do you stand for God? Now, we don't really have to imagine what we would do in this setting. All we got to do is think back to yesterday or last week or somewhere in the recent past where we were confronted with the same issue. Now, you may, you may not have been somewhere where all the world governments were there and all the leaders were there and you were called to fall before a, an idol, but, but folks, you and I are confronted every day with going the direction of the world, following the crowd, or taking a stand for God. What did you do in that moment? Do we stand for God or do we follow the crowd? Now, in this moment right here, I, I just suggested there are probably hundreds of thousands of people at this. We don't, we don't have a, a, a tally in here. It doesn't suggest how many people there are. But when you look at the size of it, it appears this would be something. There would be, you know, a quarter of a million, 300,000 people at. As a matter of fact, we've seen scenes like this, haven't we? Not the worshiping of a false god necessarily, but when, when we think of our national mall. You know, out there in front of the Lincoln Memorial and the Capitol on the other end. And, and, and in the United States, we've had a number of events in history where large gatherings of people, hundreds of thousands of people. So if you're trying to get, you know, in your imagination what this moment looked like, imagine them all. I imagine those hundreds of thousands of people and, and now place yourself in the middle of them. And all of a sudden, everybody around you is laying on their face and you're standing there. You feel awkward? You feel like you stand out a little bit? I mean, literally, you do. Everybody's laying on their face. You stand out. What if you were doing that? What if there was, say, three of you doing that? Because there was three doing that. Hundreds of thousands of people laying on their face. There's three that remain standing. And we do see something about the size of this moment and the number of people that must have been there because Nebuchadnezzar didn't notice that three people were standing. He missed it. I mean, I don't know how you miss three. I mean, when everybody's on their face, seems like it'd be pretty obvious who was standing. But he missed that. Now, while he missed it, I didn't say everybody missed it. Somebody saw it and somebody decided to be a tattletale. Look at verse 12. There are some Jews you have appointed. Now, let me go back and read verse 8. Some, some Chaldeans, which is another name for Babylonians, some Chaldeans took this occasion to come forward and maliciously accuse the Jews. They hated these guys for having arrived in the position that they were in. Now pick up in verse 12. There are some Jews you have appointed to manage the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men have ignored you, the king. They do not serve your gods or worship the gold statue you have set up. Then in a furious rage, Nebuchadnezzar gave orders to bring in Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king. Nebuchadnezzar asked them, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, is it true that you don't serve my gods or worship the gold statue that I have set up? Now, if you're ready, when you hear the sound of the, the band, and man, we're all there and out together. It's late and time for lunch. Uh, when you hear the sound of the band, fall down and worship 
the statue I made. But if you don't worship it, you will immediately be thrown into a furnace of blazing fire. And who is the God who can rescue you from my power? Now, Nebuchadnezzar refers, I mean, it seems the scripture kind of going out of its way to, to refer to his emotional response to this. He is furious. He is very angry. And, and he brings these three guys in. And he says, surely you, you, you guys are not challenging my authority. Surely you're not being disloyal to me. Now, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to bring the band in. We're going to set this whole scene up again. And, and you get a chance to make this right. You, you get a chance to, to show your loyalty and, and fall down. Now, it's interesting that he has this emotional response and is allowing all this. Folks, the law has clearly been stated. It says you're going to fall down, and if you're not, you go in the fire. I mean, it's, it's very simple. It's an open and closed case. There's no need for all this emotion. There's no need to give them a second chance. They didn't bow. Throw them in the fire. So why does Nebuchadnezzar have all this emotion, have all this energy about these three guys? I tell you what I believe is going on here. I believe, I believe Nebuchadnezzar's feelings are hurt. I think, he, I think he feels a little bit personally betrayed. You see, what happened is as Babylonians went in and defeated Judah, you remember me talking a couple weeks ago about how these nations, they'd defeat one nation and then they'd exile them all out and put them in another nation, take another nation they defeated and put it back in Judah. Well, they had taken all the Jews out of Judah and they kind of brought them parading in as prisoners into Babylon. And Nebuchadnezzar's looking at them and I mean, he can decide, okay, this group dies, this group is enslaved. I mean, this is, this is bad news. You're a prisoner of war. You're in exile. But yet in this moment, Nebuchadnezzar reaches out and he says, I want that one and that one and that one. It's actually a fourth one. We know him by the name of Daniel. And you can read this story in Daniel chapter 1. And he pulls these three, they're youth, they're kids. He pulls these four teenagers out of that group and he puts them in the up-and-coming leaders program. He puts them on the leadership track. I mean, these guys went from potentially being dead or slaves to, as you just read here, now they're royal officials. And you can see some of the prejudice and the hate of other leaders that are around them. They, they hate them, but, but that's what Nebuchadnezzar has done for them. And so as he sees them now expressing this disloyalty, he's like, Man, you, I mean, I, I could have had you guys killed. I've given you everything. I've given you the good life. You guys owe me your lives. You know, and I'm sure that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were appreciative I bet, I bet they were very appreciative of the, the program they got to be a part of and the position that they now had in life. There's just one problem. Their life already belongs to somebody. Their life belongs to one. And it's not King Nebuchadnezzar. Folks, that's our first lesson this morning. Regardless of what somebody can seemingly do for you, seemingly give to you, or what they have done for you, what they have provided for you, regardless of what they can do to you. Your life belongs to one. And it's not a person. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 20 says, Do you not know that your body is a temple, a sanctuary of the Holy Spirit that is in you, whom God has given you? You are, what's that phrase say? You are not your own. Don't believe that lie that you can do whatever you want with your body. Don't believe that lie you can do whatever you want, period. You don't belong to you. You belong to God. You've been bought 
with a price. And that price is the blood of Jesus Christ. Here's your one right. You got one right. I'm appreciative of the Constitution of the United States, which we just celebrated this past Friday. But folks, ultimately, you've got one right, and that is to glorify God in your body. And obviously, if I use my body to fall down and worship a false god, that's not glorifying the one true God. If I use my body to just get in line and go go the way of the crowd, go the way of the world, that's not using this body to glorify God. If I use this body to serve and bring pleasure to the number one false god, self, that's not glorifying God with this body. Folks, we have one right. It's to glorify God with this body. That's who we belong to. That's who we answer to. Jesus speaks to the exact kind of situation that we we see Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego here. He says in, in Luke chapter 11, he says, And I say to you, my friends, don't fear the one who can kill you. And, and then after that, can't do anything more. I'll tell you who to fear. That sounds kind of tough, doesn't it? Is that what he said? Yeah, I'll show you the one to fear. Fear him who has authority to throw people into hell. Fear the one you ultimately have to stand before and give an answer to. Folks, you answer to one and death is not the end of anything. Death is just the door you go through to get to the greatest appointment in your life. You have an appointment with God. And that's where you answer what you did with this body that belongs to him. That's where you answer what you did with this life that he gave you. You don't answer to anybody else. Now, let me come back and kind of restate that. You know what? The scripture tells us as believers, we're people that are respectful and honorable and appreciative. So when people have done for me, have provided for me, we should acknowledge that. We should show gratitude. When there's people that are over me, police officers, teachers, government, boss, we should honor, we should give respect. But folks, we don't do that for anyone or anything above God. We don't do that for anyone or anything in contradiction to God. Again, I'm sure Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are appreciative. I'm sure they're looking for every way they can honor and respect the king that they serve. But they will never honor and respect him in a way that's contradictory to the one they belong to. To the Lord God. We serve one. We stand for one. We answer to one. And folks, this is a decision you have to make in your life. Who are you following? Who are you answering to? Do you realize if you wait to make this decision till you're in this moment right here, you know, the fire, they're they're starting the fire and hundreds of thousands of people are bowing all around you. If that's when you stop and say, who do I belong to? What do I need to do in this moment? Folks, if that's when you try to make that decision, let me tell you what you're going to do 100% of the time. You're going to bow down and worship that false god. This is a decision that has to be made in your life. I belong to God. What does that look like in my job? What does that look like in my marriage? What does that look like at school? What does that look like in my decisions? I'm constantly thinking about this one great truth and what that looks like. Even thinking about what might that cost me? There's no cost that changes that truth. I belong to God. I answer to Him. You have to decide that before you get here. If you wait till here, you're toast. No pun intended. Let's look at verse 16 and see how Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, knowing that they belong to God, 
Let's see how they responded in one of the truly great passages of Scripture. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, Nebuchadnezzar, we don't need to give you an answer to this question. If the God we serve exists, then He can rescue us from the furnace of blazing fire. And He can rescue us from the power of you, the king. Look at verse 18. But even if He does not. Folks, I think those are about six of the most powerful words hooked together in one passage of Scripture in the whole Bible. But even if He does not rescue us. We want you as king to know that we will not serve your gods or worship the gold statue that you set up. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego respond to Nebuchadnezzar. And what they're saying in that first line is they're saying, King, you, you, don't, you don't need to bring the band in. You, you don't need to set up a second opportunity for us to, to bow down. You don't need to do that because it's not going to happen. We've already made that decision in our lives. We belong to one and it's not you. You, say, you, don't, you don't need to set all that up. But now, if you want to discuss, if you want to debate what our God can do, well, now we're happy to talk about that. Because our God can, He is able to deliver us out of that fire. Our God, the one we belong to, He created this body. He created the fire. And He created what fire can do to the body. And He can keep that from happening. He can suspend that. I mean, they're talking about a miracle right here. They've got faith in a miracle. Now, last week we looked at David and Goliath. You realize David defeating Goliath was not a miracle. It was a great moment. It was the work and power of God. But nature was not suspended. The laws of the universe were not suspended for that to happen. That was not a miracle. This is a miracle. These guys are saying, I mean, they sound so confident. It's almost like they're challenging Nebuchadnezzar to throw them in, doesn't it? Go ahead and toss us in. Our God can deliver us from that. But watch this balance of faith. But even if he doesn't. Folks, that's lesson number two. You and I worship a God who can do anything he chooses to do. But watch this. That's not what makes him God. He's not God because he can do a miracle. He's not God because he can rescue us or do that or this. He's God because he is. And he doesn't have to prove that with tricks and gifts. Did you hear that? God does not have to prove it with tricks and gifts. Our God can deliver us from that fire. He can do that. But even if he doesn't, I'm not going to fall down and worship a false God because he's still the true God if he doesn't rescue us. Folks, ultimately, yes, what's God doing in my life? This is what he's doing right here. He's always, always about faith. And ultimately, what God is doing in your life is trying to grow you and I to the place where we worship him, serve him, follow him simply for who he is. Not just because of what he can do for us or what he can give for us. There is nothing wrong. There is nothing wrong with coming to God for what he can give you. There's nothing wrong with coming to God for what He can do for you. The Scripture invites you to do that. The Scripture says, bring every need to me. Bring every concern to me. God encourages us to come, for, to, come to Him for what He can do, what He can be. But ultimately, folks, we worship Him simply for who He is. 
Because you see, if we're constantly approaching Him for what He can do and what He can give, this is not God's problem, it's our problem. We have a tendency then to reduce God to being nothing more than what He did for us last. If we're not careful, we'll begin to approach God as He's not worthy of anything more than the last answered prayer. And folks, it's not answered prayer that makes Him God. He is worthy regardless. Now that, that's a great faith. You may be sitting here thinking, I don't know if I want that much faith. But you do. We all want to grow to this moment right here. Do you hear in their voice the certainty? Folks, there is nothing like certainty. Do you realize in our world how much we can't be certain of? Do you know there's very little that you can't lose in life? You can lose everything. You can lose everything. So there's something really great here when you're talking about this is something I'm absolutely certain of. Something I absolutely know. It doesn't change with the economy. It doesn't change with my health. It doesn't change with the weather. It doesn't change with how good I feel. This is always true. God is God. And that kind of certainty, look what it does for them. It answers questions. It gives direction in tough moments. It gives them a sense of strength and a sense of confidence. We want this faith. So here's what we're trying to get to in life, folks. We want to get to the place where we can answer, answer put this question up. We want to be able to answer this question in our lives. Can you say, I worship the God who can do anything, but even if He doesn't, I'm going to worship him. Now, okay, we're in church, so we definitely feel, like the crowd, a pressure to say yes. Oh, yes, that's exactly what I believe. But you realize when you're saying yes to this, you're saying, I will follow him. I will be loyal to him. I will be devoted to him. I will obey him no matter the cost and no matter if he doesn't do anything. You're actually saying, I will worship you, God, and you don't have to prove anything to me. But you know what? God has proven something, hasn't He? Didn't God prove something at the cross? Didn't at the cross He show us His great power to conquer death and hell for you? That was your rescue from the fire. And didn't God at the cross prove His great love for you? Now watch this, folks. If God never moves in your life ever, ever again... Does that give us then the right to say, you know, I, I don't know if the cross is enough. I mean, you haven't showed me that you loved me lately. W would you look at the cross and say that? Folks, you remember last week we were in the Valley of Elah with David and Goliath. And in that moment, I said that David possesses nothing that you and I don't possess. David's not in that battle with anything that you don't have. Uh, we're going to ramp it up a little bit this week. You have more than Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You have more to hang your faith on. You have more to make this kind of decision and this kind of commitment than they ever had. You know why? Because you've seen the cross. They hadn't seen the cross. They hadn't seen the most dramatic way that God moved in human history. You and I have more reason than even they had. 
Let's continue with the story. Look at verse 19. Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with rage. Now, this is one emotional dude, isn't it? I mean, over and over and over, it's his, it's his anger and he's going nuts. Nebuchadnezzar was filled with rage and the, the expression on his face changed toward Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He gave orders to heat the furnace seven times more than was customary. And he commanded some of the strongest soldiers in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the furnace of blazing fire. So these men in their trousers, robes, head covering, and other clothes, folks, that, that part there in verse 21, remember Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they're at a, that are a high royal event. This is a, a big day in the world. So they're, they're all dressed up in their, you know, governmental peacockery. And I mean, they're looking fancy. Okay. And of course, now, if you're getting thrown into a fire, you don't want all this on. What it's saying is, man, they got kindling all over them. They were tied up, thrown into the furnace of blazing fire. Since the king's commands were so urgent and the furnace extremely hot, the raging flames killed those men who carried Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego up. And the three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound into the furnace of blazing fire. Then King Nebuchadnezzar jumped up in alarm. He said to his advisors, didn't didn't we throw three men bound into the fire? Well, yes, of course, your majesty. They replied to the king. He exclaimed, look, I see four men and they're not tied up. They're walking around in the fire unharmed. And the fourth looks like a son of the gods. Nebuchadnezzar then approached the door of the furnace of blazing fire and called out. And don't you think he's kind of thinking, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, come on out. We're all cool, right? (laughs) Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, you servants of the most high God, come out. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire. When the satraps, prefects, governors, and the king's advisors gathered around, they saw that the fire had no effect on the body of these men. Not a hair of their heads was singed, their robes were unaffected, and there was no smell of fire on them. Nebuchadnezzar exclaimed, Praise to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Man, he's just all over the place, isn't he? Somebody needs to give this guy a valium. He sent his angel and rescued his servants who trusted him. They violated the king's command and risked their lives rather than to serve or worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I issue a decree that anyone of, that anyone of any people, nation, or language who says anything offensive to the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego will be torn limb from limb and his house made a garbage dump. I mean, you know, this is, this is Nebuchadnezzar right here. Just very smooth, very even-keeled. For there is no other God who's able to deliver like this. Clearly, Nebuchadnezzar is somewhat of an emotional being. And he is enraged. Think how many times the scripture points that. He has the, the furnace heated up. Now, folks, the furnace being talked about here is a large furnace. It was, it was a smelting furnace. It was used for melting metals. And so we're talking here about thousands of degrees. And, and as they approach it, it says that the, the guys who were carrying them, the soldiers there, they just erupted into flames. That sounds, man, like, what, what does that look like? What happened there? You've all seen it. You've been standing there roasting marshmallows. Kind of trying to turn it. Some of you, do you like your marshmallows like a black piece of charcoal? Burnt? Oh, that's awful. Keep it lightly brown. Keep turning it. But you know what? Even without touching the fire, sometimes that marshmallow just goes, doesn't it? Yeah. The marshmallows. That's what these soldiers are. Just, they just go just like that. And as they erupt like marshmallows into fire, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego fall into the furnace. But you notice, and, and, and you re- see this in the language, it's almost like they don't hit the ground. I mean, they're going in, but 
instantaneously. And Nebuchadnezzar notices it. He jumps up. And they're not bound. They're not laying on the ground. They're not burning. There's four guys in there chatting. Four guys in there walking around. You know who the fourth guy is? It's Jesus Christ. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego got to see Jesus. That's our third lesson, folks. Great faith ultimately does give you your opportunity to see God. That great faith will give you a certainty, but even more than that, it'll give you the opportunity to see God. And did you notice where they saw God? In. In the fire. Now, I don't know about you folks, I am always praying, and I don't think I'm going to stop. I'm always praying that I don't go into the fire. God, I don't want to go through the fire of problems. I don't want to go through the fire of rejection. I don't want to go through the, the, the fire of bad health. I don't want to go through the fire of loss. I don't want to go through the fire of doubt. We pray that, don't we? I don't want, to get, I don't want that to happen. And I'm going to keep praying it. But folks, their probably most intimate and greatest opportunity to ever see God face to face was in. It was in the fire. And what did Jesus say to him? I don't know. Doesn't say what he said to him. I can guess what he said to him. I think he said, I'm so proud of you. You know I would gladly and lovingly give to you what you need, provide for you what you need, but you don't need anything. Remember what I said when we were looking at, at Noah? Don't, don't turn God into this emotionless, unfeeling, kind of cold character. And this is a love relationship. God enjoys love. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego just had their greatest opportunity to say, God, we love you whether you do something or not. Because you're worth it. And I think Jesus said, I'm so proud of you guys. Man, this story closes with quite a scene here. Remember, this is a, a world moment. And, and all these leaders, all these, these people from different nations, they're all crowded around and they're looking as these guys are coming out of the fire. And I love the detail there. It, it says they came out of the fire and they didn't even stink. They didn't even smell like smoke. Man, I can, re I can respect that. Friday night, Karen and I were at the, at the Matoka High School football game and it was our turn to volunteer. And we're out there flipping hamburgers for the concession stand, you know. And after about a half of doing that, I stunk. I mean, all that smoke coming. So I went down, I go sit and watch the game. And man, I just clear out an area. Nobody will sit near me. We stink. Yeah, smoke. If you're around it, you're going to pick it up. You're going to smell. They notice that. They come out of the fire. They don't even smell like smoke. And then we see Nebuchadnezzar's great declaration here. A little bit difficult, actually, when you follow Nebuchadnezzar's life to know exactly what he's believing or trusting in here. Remember, these are a people that, that serve a multiplicity of gods. They, you know, add one to the heap. That's fine. But he did of his God say, this one is Elyon, the most high God, the strong one, the incomparable one, the maker, the ruler, the possessor of all. Oh, folks, what a great thing. What a great thing when your faith, when your stand 
Give somebody else a chance to see the greatness of God. Your willingness to die. Or maybe something less. But your willingness to die may give somebody else a chance to live. To live eternally. That's lesson number four. Now, folks, I want to conclude a little bit different than I have the last couple of weeks. You know, we, we've closed the story and we've gone back and we've summarized all of our lessons. I want to keep all these lessons. As we, as we close this story, we want to remember the lessons we're to carry in to the week with. But I, I want to do this. I want to leave you this morning with just one lesson. Because it's like, it's like, it's the lesson of all lessons. You get this one and everything else just kind of flows. Everything else just kind of comes together. If you get this one lesson, here it is. He's God. Period. And He is worthy of your faith, your trust. He's worthy of your obedience. He's worthy of your devotion and your loyalty, no matter the cost or the sacrifice. He's worthy. Period. Let's pray.